Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, August 11th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. How the risk of space attacks against U.S. satellites is growing. Plus, some hopeful pandemic parenting advice from Dr. Sanjay Gupta. But first, today's one big thing. The end of Hong Kong's relatively free political system is no longer looming. It's here. No more free press. Arrests by secret police. The end of Hong Kong's political freedom is here. Bethany Allen Ibrahimian is our China reporter, and she's been following these developments since the Chinese Communist Party forced a national security law on Hong Kong. This new law made it illegal for anyone anywhere in the world to promote democratic reform in Hong Kong. So in the past 24 hours, we have seen a very dramatic raid on the offices of Apple Daily, which is a pretty pro-democracy newspaper in Hong Kong. Also, the owner of that newspaper, Jimmy Lai, who has long been an outspoken critic of Beijing, was arrested and marched out of those offices. We've also seen the arrest of Agnes Chow, who was a major student leader of recent protests in Hong Kong. In addition, Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam announced recently that she would be postponing the scheduled elections for one year. Now, she said it was because of the coronavirus pandemic, but no one really believes that. What has the American government and other outside governments done as a response to what's happened in the past 24 hours? The U.S. last week just levied some sanctions on top Hong Kong officials, including Carrie Lam. I think that is the most significant sanction on any individual that the U.S. government has ever passed with regards to China. However, it's mostly symbolic. Um, Carrie Lam herself kind of laughed it off last week and said that none of her assets are going to be affected by that. I wonder if we can just remind everyone the law is written to apply to everyone everywhere. Do you think action outside of China could be next? So Article 38 of the national security law is really stunning. It's sweeping extraterritoriality. And the Hong Kong authorities have already demonstrated that they're going to use that. On July 31st, the Hong Kong police announced indictments and arrest warrants for six individuals based outside of China, including a U.S. citizen based in the United States who has been a U.S. citizen for 25 years. This is a new phenomenon in the world to have an authoritarian government enshrine in law its desire to crush dissent around the world. So I think sometimes when people think about democracy being suppressed in China, at least for me, my mind immediately goes to Tiananmen Square and the idea of tanks and guns doing that. But this doesn't look like that. The Chinese Communist Party's version of authoritarianism challenges American and Western perceptions of what authoritarianism looks like. We think Cold War era tanks and barbed wire, but China has learned how to suppress people while still having the appearance of prosperity and modernity. And we don't understand that. We don't know how to expect that or how to stop that. The Chinese government has learned how to effectively crush a vibrant political movement without the use of military force, but it accomplishes the same purpose. And that's what we're not really capable yet of responding to in an effective way. Bethany Allen Ibrahimian is Axios's China reporter. We'll be back in 15 seconds with how the modern space race could hurt American military satellites. 
Welcome back to Axios Today. The U.S. has been using satellites in orbit to fight wars for decades, but now other nations are catching up to our military capabilities in space. Marion Kramer has been reporting on this, and she's here with us now. Is it kind of like how it is in the movies where the spy people pull up a satellite and then they're like, find that person's license plate? I don't know that it's quite that level of sophistication, but these satellites can see people walking down the street. So, for example, they can see Iranian rocket sites and the military uses space every single day from this imagery to GPS and other satellites in space can actually peer through clouds. So these are crucial elements to the structure that the military has built up. And what does it look like now in terms of other countries? So for a very long time, the U.S. has been absolutely dominant in this. The level of sophistication of the satellites is, by and large, much higher than other nations. And because they're so expensive, because they are so exquisitely detailed, because they're easy targets. And nations like China and Russia have realized this and have built up their own capabilities to challenge those satellites in orbit. With this new tech comes the ability to, in some ways, wage space war, which I know sounds kind of like a joke. But in reality, you know, nations have been developing these ways of actually destroying satellites in space or jamming satellites or making it more difficult to do the military actions that the U.S. is doing every day. And do you feel like that is a possibility, like another country could destroy a satellite that we had in space? Yeah, it's a legitimate risk. Russia has recently tested its own way of destroying satellites. China has tested these types of systems before, so has India. One of the major problems with these kinds of tests and with destroying satellites in orbit is that it's not as if all of the pieces of the satellite sort of just fall back down to Earth and that's it. They're actually still flying around the Earth at 17,000 miles an hour in orbit. So in that sense, it's almost like that's a really good incentive to not shoot down a space satellite. It is, yeah. And there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work to try and make sure that everybody stays on the same page, that it's a bad thing to do. That said, India's anti-satellite test last year created hundreds of pieces of debris and almost put the International Space Station in danger. So it's, it's a very tenuous situation. Miriam Kramer is Axios's space reporter. Before we go, all week, the Asian American Journalists Association is meeting, and I'm a longtime member of the journalism group. I kicked off the virtual convention Sunday by interviewing CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. We talked for an hour about journalism, science, and being an Asian American right now. But I wanted to share the end of the conversation with you all because he had a surprisingly hopeful answer when I asked him about the long-term effects 2020 will have on kids. What I would say is I think this is it's just going to be a different chapter in their lives. I think that they will come out of this in some ways better and stronger. Dr. Gupta has three of his own children, and he's not saying being a child is easy right now. There's these traumatic experiences that our kids always go through, obviously some much more traumatic than others. And for some kids, it ends up being crushing. And for some kids, it makes them more resilient. It's more like, you know, you work out your muscles and your muscles get stronger. And I've always wondered, I think in part because of my love for the brain, you know, why is that? Why are some people crushed by daily microaggressions? And why are some people in some ways strengthened by it, made more resilient? And I think it's the environment, you know, that you are in when these things happen to you. 
So Dr. Gupta had this advice for families. Be honest with your kids, be transparent, but also wrap them in a cocoon of love and support and let them know it's going to be okay. And, and hopefully they come out the other side of this stronger and better. That does it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Bye.